Welcome to part two of our Fisher Poets Gathering Selects series, featuring excerpts from the 2022 gathering, which took place virtually the last weekend of February. This program was edited by myself, Emma Geddes, with production assistance from Brad Wortman, and with permission from the Fisher Poets Gathering for broadcast on KMUN and a select few other small community radio stations where the Fisher Poets call home. For links to full recordings of the performances and more, visit fisherpoets.org. First, we hear from Tella Adson of Bow, Washington. Uh, I'm going to keep this intro short. Uh, I've been salmon trolling out of Sitka since 1984 as a boat kid, and this piece is from last August. It's called Same Boats. On the Nurka, Joel and I troll for kings off Baranoff. On the Charity, Martin's had one foot out the fishery since we were kids. The Charity was meant to be his dad's retirement troller. Lloyd had a stroke. The boat fell into Martin's hands. 23 years later, with a partner and a child on land, he thinks about the time he has left with them, the time he doesn't have. He says this August afternoon is his last. 10 miles east on the Pacific Ranger, Jeff and son John fish dogs in West Crawfish. They see the Lady Cypress enter the inlet as if to join the fleet, then drift oddly sideways instead. On the Lady Cypress, the captain is having a stroke. The deckhand calls the Coast Guard. There's no reply. On the Pacific Ranger, Jeff glances at the cliffs framing the fjord, sea level straight to three, four thousand feet. Crawfish is an isolation tank. Nothing in, nothing out, Jeff responds to the call. On the sunset, Zane is a trained nurse. The inlet is as deep as the cliffs are tall. Drag 50 fathoms, your poles scrape the trees. Nowhere to drop anchor. Zane stacks his gear, puts his boat in neutral to drift. On the Beaufort Sea, the crew launches a zodiac. They zip over to the sunset and rush Zane to the Lady Cypress. Four miles west, on the Minky, Bert is able to hear the Lady Cypress. He relays to the Coast Guard. On the Jubilee, Zane's friend gets a line on the sunset to keep the nurse's boat off the rocks. On the Lady Cypress, Zane reports to Bert that the patient is a 70-year-old male, right side deficit. He cannot talk. It's now been an hour since the deckhand called for help. On the Minky, Bert knows crawfish is a five-minute flight from Sitka. He snaps into the mic. We got an ETA on that chopper yet? The Beaufort Sea rafts to the Lady Cypress anticipating the tender's open deck will be easier to pick from. They don't anticipate the force of rotor wash as the Jayhawk hovers above. The crew scrambles to strap down tote lids, readies for a second try. On the Beaufort Sea, the rescue swimmer secures the captain in the basket, sends him up. On the Lady Cypress, the deckhand starts the three-hour run to Sitka. On the sunset, 
Zane puts his boat in gear. On the Pacific Ranger, John and Jeff run their lines. On the Minky, Bert hangs up the radio. On the Charity, Martin stacks his gear for the last time. He calls to share the moment without really having words to do so. Looking back, he recalls, wasn't that long ago we pushed ourselves so hard just to prove we could, to survive, to stay afloat. On the Nurka, I think about what it takes to survive. An early pandemic rallying cry chirped, we're all in the same boat. Anyone with actual sea time heard that phrase as the lie it was, naive dangerous, empathy and aid contingent on our perceived sameness. From these vessels crowded with our dreads and our dreams, we are keenly aware of what it took to get through this day, what it takes to get through all these days. So many people on so many different boats. I wanna thank my fleet mates, John and Jeff, and Bert and Martin for talking to me about this piece. And I want to thank you all for being here, wherever you are, on whatever different boats. We love you. See you next year. Next is Katrina Porteous of Beadnell, England. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for having me here. It's just great to be able to connect like this and to hear everybody. It's been a fab evening. So thank you all so much. Um, I'm just going to read one poem. I'm from the northeast of England, as Jay says, but um, a few years ago, I got to spend some time uh, longlining on a small boat off the Suffolk coast. So this is a poem, in fact, for two voices. Obviously, there's just one of me, so I'm going to have to improvise a bit tonight. One of the voices is a man, because women in England don't tend to fish. We have a few uh, um, w women fishermen, but not many in this country. Uh, I've been off on many boats, spent a lot of time among fishermen and among boats. I've never fished for a living, but it's always been my life to be around boats and fishing. So I'll finish up with this excerpt from Longshore Drift. We've always lived on the edge, boy. Small boats, lines and nets. We've always fished as the old men fished, and the old men showed the sea respect, for they'd wait for the fish in their season, shooting a dozen and two. I'll tell you, there's just one skipper out there, and that's not you. When a dozen and two was your limit, your twelve long lines might fetch a hundred stone. Now a hundred lines won't land you ten, and there's the catch. Technology's killed the fishing. Sea never gets no rest. Now politics gonna finish the job with the law like a millstone round our necks. Kettle bottom, and all Louis sugar boat and ship wash. Napes bank the onion, in and out the dingle. If we was to land every fish we caught, they'd still be there another year. Kettle bottom, Lord Louis sugar boat and ship wash. Napes bank the onion, 
in a dark dingle, in a bank, either wit, like the pearl the ridge, in a sweeper, out a sweeper, in a dark dingle. Hand over fist over fist over hand, quick as a sprinter, haul a long line, salt spray and the pre-hook spinning, jerk of the wrist and the big cod writhing, stop, fast, haul, hard, fist over hand over hand over fist, and it snoods, spray and the free hooks frying, flick of the wrist and the cod thumps down. My body's at ease on the water, more than on the land. I'm at home on the sea, I was born for this life. I call myself a happy man, though I've slogged out my guts for nothing, but heartache and little pain. And I wouldn't want to see my own boy battered as the sea has battered me many a day. For how can you call it a living? Winter with no cod. And the boat's getting fewer on the beach each year. I'm the last of the line, you can call me mad. But it's out on the boundless water, under the endless sky. I think of the people I meet on the land, and I know there's envy in their eyes for how can you call it a living bound to an office desk when you see that sun come up god knows it's a hard haul and little rest when you're hauling for home my darling when you're giving it all you can but if i was to die in my sleep tonight i die a happy man Thank you. Now, Duncan Berry of Cascade Head, Oregon. Good to be in the Fisher Poets community again, something we look forward to all winter, especially in the dark of winter. Um, I'm going to jump right in uh, with a poem called Salmon Walking, uh, which really, uh, in this time of invasions and uh, pandemics, it's nice to know that some of these traditions that we all love continue on that have been going on for thousands of years. So this is a, a poem from my time in St. Mary's up the, the Yukon at our fish buying station. It's called Salmon Walking. These people of the far north, these Yupik, they have been the salmon eaters since the mile high lenses of clear blue ice melted away and their salty brethren, the salmon returned to the rivers, returned to their ancestral waters with their bellies full of oils and flesh colored like dawn. Into their weirs and dip nets and onto their bone hooks they came, filleted to hang in fish houses dressed only in the north wind and smoke. Fuel for the dark days of winter, salmon becoming humans, humans becoming salmon, walking. I grasped the hand of one of these river people boarding his gillnet skiff on the banks of the great river of the Quipac, Yukon, 80 miles from the Bering Sea, 1900 miles from its headwaters. John Tinker Jr. drifts gillnets through these waters with his nine-year-old son who introduces himself as Stefan Curry Jr., the three-point guy. We run on the flat, milky waters to pilot station, load the net, wait on the sandbar for the opener, Big sky stretching taut from one flat horizon to the other. Eagles split the silence with their keening. Ravens answer with a deep-throated chuckling, knowing that it's all humorous, this life we've been given. Floats and nets flying into the air, stretching at right angles to the current, engine in full reverse, net set, drifting quietly towards the sea. 
Floats dance as the summer run chum dog ketta feel the bite of nylon swim their last free strokes. We lean backwards, fingers deep in the mesh, pulling hard, and they come over the gunnel, tiger stripe, hook nosed, empty bellied, single minded and intent till the last moment to return to the reds of their mothers and their fathers. How many generations since those first Yupik drove their bows of their bidarkas onto the alluvial bars of this river? How many surging runs of salmon? How many spring floods? How many glaciers spitting gravel and milky water from their mouths? Waves of these first peoples combing these same waters, bones laid flat now in the frozen ground. Through it all has run the red thread of salmon and footsteps of the fisher folk on the banks of the Quipoc, salmon becoming human, humans becoming salmon, walking. Keith Wilson speaking from Haley, Idaho. I know everybody's excited to get back to Astoria, but I'm happy to be joining for the first time. I'll be reading a short excerpt from my book uh, from a story that took place about 10 years ago from um, set netting the Quijack. And I was set netting the Quijack 10 years before that. I'll probably be set netting the Quijack 10 years from now. Uh, this was a night where we caught over 20,000 pounds of fish and we were down to the last 6,000 pounds on board plus the nets. So we were as low in the water as it gets. Fortunately, it was dead calm that night. Then we got to the tender and they were full. So we had to wait for a new tender, which wasn't going to come for another several hours. And as we waited, the weather came in, the waves got bigger and where I'll start reading is where we were starting to offload our fish. There is a siren on the other side of the vessel. I hear it over the wind and waves and men shouting. My brother freezes, the crane operator disappears. The attention of the crew is on the skiff on the other side of the tender where two men have gone overboard. Our skiff remains lopsided. It rocks and splashes in the waves and splashes into the stern are bigger now. Hey, dad yells up to anyone who can hear. We gotta get more fish out of here or we're gonna swamp too. The scale from the crane is still lowered into our skiff and I start clipping the next brailer to it. My brother is frozen. Luke, I say, brailer, come on. I can't hear what dad and the skipper are shouting back and forth through the wind, but dad starts untying the stern line. Keith, he shouts, untie. Skipper says we're going into calmer water. I release us. The water dumps into the stern. Hey, we're sinking, dad yells. We're sinking. Fish float toward me. The motor is underwater. I've untied, but the line is still in my hand, sliding through them. I tighten my grip and I feel it burn through my gloves. I'm bailing, Luke says. I know he doesn't mean the bucket when he crawls to the side and climbs aboard the tender. Metal crashes against metal, splashes between vessels tower above me. Waves keep dumping into the skiff. My hands burn as they tighten harder around the line as I slip into the dark. In my peripheral vision, I see dad climb aboard the tender too. 
I'm alone in the skiff, drifting away, fish floating against my hips. Dad and Luke's voices are somewhere in the lights. Luke says, screw the skiff, Keith, get up here. Dad says, damn it, that's my son. I keep drifting into the darkness, and for a moment, the waves are silent, almost still. My mind, my, my mind must have gone black. I don't remember tying the tangle into the net, into the mess on the floor, holding the skiff against the current. But I look down, and it's there. It's not a bowlin or a keg knot, even a granny knot. It's a wad of line woven back and forth and around itself in some kind of mess that's somehow holding. I've done what I can, and now I need to get out of the skiff. I step toward the tender, but my ankle is wrapped in the line. My face splashes into the floor. I taste salt. Water pours down my neck. The bail bucket floats by me and disappears. I flap and kick, but it's futile. The more I move, the more the line tightens. Water keeps pouring toward me. Water is all I see. Now I realize, surrounded in the dark, that I've come face to face with the tide. A road out of Naknik, Alaskan salmon fishing, long distance running and life according to the tide. Thank you. Next is Kat Murphy of Port Townsend, Washington. This piece is called Two Homes, Two Hearts. How do you put into words what should only be felt? There's a flower drifting past the boat in the middle of this deep blue sea. It makes me think of home and of blackberry season, lettuce shooting out of the ground, peas weaving their vines and nasturtiums overflowing. I look out on deck and see waves and white caps and foam, lines shaking with fish ready to be caught. I'm alone in a world of sea and sky. This is also home. For me, Alaska is sunrises and sunsets blurring together into one endless day stretched out. Expansive and overwhelming, Alaska is too big to contain, ever overflowing, raw and unfiltered. It is well-organized chaos. It holds the wild places that I love. Port Townsend is the steady plotting of time, the rhythms of day-to-day -day living, the clock ticking and me knowing what day of the week it is. It holds the long dark hours and the deep sleep. It is peaceful and methodical and sometimes hard to stuff myself back into. It holds the people that I love frozen in time. After four months away, I struggle trying to find the words to describe all that a summer fishing season holds. So I put on the hat of entertainer, vivacious storyteller, performer of tricks and jokes. I tell the people what they want to hear. I make them laugh and sometimes cringe. Fascinated, captivated, I hold them in the palm of my hand. I am powerful, I am in control. But they make room for me, create space for the transformation from fisherman to cat. Graciously accepting whatever form of me happens to appear in September, lovingly breaking the tension of transition, they listen and laugh, politely applauding at the end of my performance. They wait patiently. Translating my summers and trying to understand theirs feels like a full cup of water that I knock over and spill onto the floor. The words seep into the carpet. I am one person and two people. The distance between is becoming too vast to bridge. I can hear the waves slapping against the hull as I drive the grace forward. I try and go forward with the water as a sea of flowers floating. 
Looking down, I run my hands through their petals, but they're chanterelles, smooth and bright on the fall forest floor. I sense movement and look up. The troll poles are shaking with fish, but it's my teeth chattering. My body shaking with cold as I sit on my surfboard, staring out at the waves as the snow falls around me, melting into the sea. Another wave, this time crashing over the bow. It's the Omni Rip. I'm caught. I need to turn around. I need to go back, but I can't get through. The petals are too thick. I've lost all control over the situation. The raven on the bow says two, two, and I yell back one. My voice becomes snow, becomes blackberries, wraps like river rock around ego and self. The raven says, harmony. Let me begin again. How do you put into words what can only be felt? There's a flower drifting past the boat in the middle of this deep blue sea. The memories start to trickle like water over smooth stones, told out of order as they are felt rather than remembered. Listening to a favorite song in the deep peace of the morning run out of the anchorage, running day and night nonstop, trying to get the boat south before the gale, a bright moon on a still ocean lighting the way. One breakdown after another, I'm covered in soot in my engine room, exasperated. A buddy hands me a cold beer afterwards, no words, just understanding. The best day of fishing I've ever had, and the boat refusing to turn over the next morning. Collecting beach asparagus under a rare bright sun and a piercing blue sky, hot sand, sunburn? We are eight days in, 700 miles traveled and a football field's distance from home. Anchored outside the breakwater, waiting for the wind to come down as the clock strikes midnight. The metallic manic smell of king salmon on deck, the smell of money. Their silver scales sparkling on my town jeans. How did those get there? Tequila shots with the official, unofficial mayor of Shearwater. Did that actually happen? Rafting up to a friend's boat in the dark that I haven't seen all season. The warm light of my sodium illuminating their smiling faces as they catch my lines. Serenity, fatigue, anxiety, fear, joy, grief, perseverance, desperation, love, loss, anger peace, awe, trickling over smooth stones, down the river, out to sea. Thank you. Our final performer for this program will be George Wilson in Portland, Oregon. I've got a true story here. It's called Har and the Old Red Sandstone. It's kind of a fairy tale. Har, spelled H-A-A-R, Hotel Alpha Alpha Romeo. It's a Scottish word for a particular sea fog which occurs between April and September on the East Coast. Meteorologically speaking, it is what happens when relatively warmer moist air passes over the surface of the cold North Sea and condenses. It is then blown or drawn by convection currents to the shore where it blankets the coast in an eerie, chilly, reality-altering ether. To experience it is to feel that it is alive. It scrambles over the cliffs and sea crags and creeps up the grassy braes. It fills the sea caves and slides through the great rock arches of the Bow Fiddle and Wales Moo, which are the most prominent landmarks of the headland where my village of Pernoki sits above the North Sea. It muffles the sound of the waves crashing on the shore and it dampens the cries of the gulls, kittiwakes, and fulmars 
nesting in rookeries by the sea caves on the old red sandstone cliffs. Geologically so old that they don't contain fossils. Think of that, older than any life. The Har and the old red sandstone are well acquainted. Are we'll acquaint, as we say. What is the passing of time to the old red sandstone and the har as they embrace in their soft caress once more? There must have been a first time. Will there be a last? There is a graveyard to the west of the village, atop, as they say in fairy tales, atop the cliff. And when the har rolls in, it becomes a half-obscured theatrical set of granite headstones and marbled monoliths, markers for the dead, now dry iced by the har. Crows perch on the headstones, curlews call from the shore, larks confused by the fog, still spiral up into the heavens searching for the sun. The old people, well, people are born old in Pernocchi anyway, but the old people said, well, in truth, my great aunt Eugenie said that when the har rolled in, that you might see on the path on the cliff above the shore by the graveyard, that you might catch a glimpse of the ancestors. Taking a walk, a stroll, a perambulation through the veil of the har. Because magic happens when the old red sandstone kisses the har. You see that all folk, the ancestors, they like to stretch their legs after a long lie down, my great aunt Eugenie said. Then she cackled, like old crones always do in fairy tales. And if you walked back to the harbour through the village, past the bed sheets and clothes pegged on the lines strung between poles atop the cliff, to the house where my great aunt Jeannie lived, then maybe, maybe you could see through the har the great fleet of sailboats, christened Zulus at their conception and construction in the time of the Zulu Wars. A hundred boats crammed into that tiny harbour, their nine-man crews readying them for the upcoming Yarmouth herring season. Legendary sailing craft, 80 feet long with a huge main, huge main mast of Norwegian spruce. So big around, the old people said that you couldn't encompass it with your arms. So tall, the old people said, that when the har rolled in, you couldn't see the top. And maybe, just maybe, if you were in Uganic Bay on Kodiak Island at the time of a salmon closure and observed the har creep along Uganic, if you were in Uganic Bay at the time of a salmon closure and observed the har creep along Uganic Island, then across the pass and slide up the bay on the incoming tide and roll smokily between and over and through the alders and birches and cottonwoods of the village islands. And you might see Wendy tending her garden beds or picking raspberries on the bray there. And if the har ever rode up the Long Island Sound and over Block Island and up into Point Judith, then through the veil you might see a tall, broad-shouldered, slightly hunched figure tuning a bazooki and telling tales and laughing at his own jokes. 
And if that's you and you did see John Campbell, say hello from me. For it is true what the old people say, that when the heart kisses the old red sandstone, magic happens. Everything is altered. Nothing remains the same. Time stands still. Time collapses. All times mingle in the heart. When it rolls in, you can smell the ocean of your youth, taste its salt, and be at peace. Har, H-A-A-R, Patel, Alpha, Alpha, Romeo. Thank you. Thanks again for coming, and uh, we'll be signing off from here for the 25th annual Fisher Poets Gathering. Thanks for coming. Thank you again to the Fisher Poets for allowing KMUN to broadcast these selections from the 2022 Fisher Poets Gathering, and to Brad Wartman for production assistance. Find these recordings and links to additional content by visiting the podcast page at kmun.org and find full video recordings of this year's gathering at fisherpoets.org. Thank you also to the many generous sponsors who make Fisher Poets possible. <laughs>